You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. On this edition of our podcast, um, a conversation I had with Patrick Ewing of Georgetown, fresh off the Hoyas' amazing win at Butler, down Mac McClung and Omer Yurtseven. They go in, they beat the Bulldogs, and in this crazy year in the Big East, Big Ten this whole season, they still have a pulse. Also, Matt Howard from Butler. Had a great conversation with him when I was on campus. It was 10 years from Butler's first national championship runner-up appearance against Duke in Indianapolis. The shot that didn't go down that was heard around the sport. Uh, the Gordon Hayward shot that looked like it was going in. Anyway, great conversation with Matt. About 10 years later after that, actually nine years after they went to the championship game where they lost to UConn. Uh, also joining me, Judy McLeod from Conference USA, the commissioner, former member of the Men's Basketball Selection Committee. Conference USA doing some intriguing things with their schedule here in the last couple of weeks that other conferences, I think, should take note. And with their conference tournament. Trying to mix things up a little. We'll talk about that as well as being on the selection committee. Also from San Diego State, Malachi Flynn. Well, let me tell you something. The Aztecs, unbelievable story. Not getting a lot of pubs. We want to hear from Malachi, transfer from Washington State, what it's been like to be a part of a historic season with the Aztecs. That's all coming up on March Madness 365. But first, let's get to the headlines. At number five. Ladies and gentlemen, Gator Nation. Welcome home to his court, Billy Donovan. Oklahoma City Thunder coach Billy Donovan, who won two national titles at Florida in 06 and 07. He came back to Gainesville for the naming of the O'Connell Center Court, a well-deserved honor for Donovan. Uh, Their 19 years uh, really transformed this program. I know they went to a Final Four under Lon Kruger in 94, but uh, the Gators... Back-to-back national championships. Think about that. Had not happened for uh, since Duke um, in 91-92. So, uh, you know, a remarkable achievement for what occurred at Florida. To have those guys come back, that's not going to happen right now. Just not going to happen. Where we get players to all come back and compete for a national championship again. So, amazing feat by the Gators. Well-deserved. It's just great to see him back in Gainesville. Headline number four. On a Saturday filled with upsets, Auburn, the latest victim. A record nine top 25 teams lost on Saturday, proving yet again this is the most unpredictable season in quite some time, if not ever, in college basketball. Yes. Look, uh, we're going to talk about my predictions in the back part of the podcast, but this is ridiculous how difficult it is to predict the season. The brackets are going to be crazy. How anyone's going to get this right, you're not going to. All right, number three. 
as the Zags win their 18th straight game. They're now 26 and 1. And perfection continues. Yes, the Aztecs win again. Gonzaga and San Diego State are heading toward number one seeds with one getting the one out west, I believe, the other in the east, because, well, I guess Duke still could get up there. But if San Diego State stays unbeaten and Gonzaga doesn't lose another game, they're both going to be number one seeds. And I think one will be out east, one will be out west. Baylor in the south, Kansas in the Midwest. I think that's what's what's going to happen. But it's going to be one of the tougher decisions for the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee is where they put Gonzaga and San Diego State. Who goes west? Who goes east? Track that. Because in the latest rendition of the top 16, San Diego State went east. Gonzaga stayed west based on their schedule. Headline number two. This will keep them a half game ahead of Penn State. And really, Jay, at this point of the season, make it look like a two-team race for the Big Ten regular season title. What a win for the Turks. Believe it or not, Maryland, well, that's not a shocker, but Maryland and Penn State are now the two most likely to win the Big Ten regular season. As I said, Maryland was expected to challenge with Michigan State. Penn State, I have them as a tournament team, but not compete for the title. I mean, what they've done of late, winning on the road, phenomenal. Nittany Lions, arguably one of the best stories in college basketball this season. Crazy game back right now at Maryland. They got a legit shot to win the Big Ten title. Wow. Headline number one. Jay says the Jayhawks are number one right now. They're number three. This is the home of the nation's number one team, the Baylor Bears. Kansas is at Baylor Saturday in what could be the most important game remaining in the regular season of any conference. A Baylor win likely clinches the Big 12 and number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. A Kansas win, and the Jayhawks will likely get a share of the league title and challenge for top overall seed in the tournament. A monstrous game Saturday in Waco. Um, just tremendous. Great that we've got this in the Big 12. Uh, last year, Texas Tech, K-State got a share. Texas Tech was sort of a thorn for Kansas. Now it's Baylor. Uh, I mean, look, it's hard to get Kansas down. So very impressive. Big time game. Uh, looking forward to that on Saturday at noon. All right. Those are your headlines in college basketball for the week. And up next here on March Madness 365, Patrick Ewing, fresh off that victory over Butler. Uh, Patrick, you've had a long career in basketball. Uh, where would you put in terms of how challenging this has been to, to get this team to this point where you're winning games without two starters at Hinkle? It's challenging, but, you know, uh, it only makes it more rewarding. Um, I think that my guys believe in themselves, um, and they're, they're playing like it. Everyone is stepping up and in, in, in any given night uh, doing things that we need to be able to get the win. Like tonight, Terrell Allen, 22 points. Uh, when we needed points. Um, but it was, or the other night, Javon Blair, 30 points. So everyone is doing things uh, that we need for them to do to be able to get a win. And, Javon, and uh, Jagan Mosley, he's our, to me, is our MVP. Night in, night out, playing the, the best player uh, on, the, on the opposing team, playing 40 minutes a game and being able to suck it, out, suck it up, you know, being battling through injury, injuries and still being able to play. How have you empowered these players to be able to fight through fatigue when there's maybe only one player coming off the bench to help sub them out? Tell them they have tomorrow off, so, you know, you can't worry about, you know, being tired. Uh, it's all about getting the win, taking tomorrow off, regrouping, and cut, getting ready for Providence. You know, the Big East this season is a league where there are opportunities, where you can continue to get in a position 
to still make a deep run? What is it about this conference that allows you guys to still be in position to potentially get a bid? Well, we got every school has, has great coaching. We have outstanding players that believe in, in, in their school, their alma mater, and everybody is, is playing their butts off to try to uh, you know, go far in the postseason. And you, Ashley, you guys have had a lot of games where you've had leads, not able to hold them. What was the difference in the ability to extend and hold a lead late on the road? Well, this is what the season's all about. You, you start the year off, uh, we weren't very a very good defensive team. And I think right now we've been able to, we're being able to get stops uh, to be able to come away with victories. I think that shows a lot that, you know, we're, we're, we're mentally and physically tough and gro- we've grown significantly to be able to get stops. Thanks, Patrick. Appreciate it. And now joining me here, as promised, on March Madness 365, Malachi Flynn from undefeated San Diego State, potential number one seed, having a historic season. Uh, Malachi, uh, you transferred from Washington State. What were your expectations with this Aztec team? Uh, my expectations were just to have a lot more winning uh, than I was previously had at my two first two first years at Washington State. Um, I don't think I expected to be undefeated this late in the season, but um, definitely winning was a priority in making the decision to transfer. So how did this whole thing come together to where you guys are having a historic season, not just that you haven't lost yet, but all the numbers defensively, offensively in terms of your efficiency, you uh, combined with Matt Mitchell, I mean, just everything. How did this all come together so quickly? Um, I think it started in the summer. Um, all the guys on our team put in work. Everybody's getting up extra shots, getting up early, doing whatever it takes pretty much. And um, I think just as the year went along, we kind of just had that chemistry with one another. We were all talented. We knew individually we were all good. But once we put it together, um, and I think we're still continuing to do that, it's just it's been a huge benefit for us. What did you learn about yourself while you were uh, sitting out? Um, just a lot. Um, just I, I learned just how different programs are, um, just coming in from one that was kind of a losing program just to one that's basically they, they've been committed to winning. Um, just seeing the, how, how things go, um, just much more accountable. Um, and I think for me, it just showed that I had to come in and ready to be a leader. Um, I've always been someone who works hard, so that wasn't an issue for me, but just um, staying accountable and coming every day to practice to work, I think that was a huge thing. Just seeing the the culture, just everybody's used to winning, that was, that was a huge difference. All right, so what was the game this season? I don't know if it was in Vegas, where, where it was, but there had to be at least one or two where you said to yourself, you know what, we got something special here. Yeah, I think the Vegas tournament in, as a whole definitely um, did that for us. I mean, the, our second game, we, we went on the road and beat BYU, which we knew was a, a good challenge. But um, And then after that, we kind of had some teams that, I mean, no disrespect, but weren't very good um, leading up to the Vegas tournament. And then once we played those two teams and we kind of smacked Creighton in the mouth, um, we had a great, great game that, that day. And then the next time we came back on Iowa, I think it just showed how how deep we are as a team and um, how many pieces we have. I'll tell you, for me, even though I know Utah is younger and, you know, they're okay, um, but it was the manner in which Utah, fresh off of beating Kentucky, you guys just absolutely destroyed them. Like, that to me was even more of a wake-up call. What did you think about that week? Yeah, that one too. Um, Especially we knew after coming to Kentucky, they would be real motivated, uh, really motivated to beat us. Um, So we knew it was going to be a good game. I think we just came out with a 
just an extra sense of urgency. Um, I mean, from the jump, we were locked in. Um, we got out to an early lead, and after that, they could never really get back. So I think, I think in those type of games, we we rise our level of play. Um, that's just in in everybody's competitive nature to, to just rise up to the challenge, and I think we did that. You know, what, what's it been like for you where, where you were at a program where in the Pac-12, they're like, okay, that's the game we got to get. We got to win that game. Now, script flipped, where when you go on the road, everyone needs to beat you, wants to beat you. You are you are the biggest game on the schedule. You didn't have that at Washington State. What's it like to have it at San Diego State? Yeah, it's definitely um, a lot different. I mean, my first two years, we, we were the ones looking up to like the Arizonas or the Oregons and like this is a this is a good chance for us to to go get one on the road or get one at home, but but now since we're at the top, um, we're getting everybody's best shot, uh, and I think that's good for us though because everybody comes in wanting to beat us. They're playing to their A game. Uh, I think that's just only going to make us better. All right, so for those that have not seen San Diego State, maybe don't even believe in San Diego State, and they're going to be getting those brackets in a couple of weeks. What should they know about this Aztec team in terms of why this Aztec team legitimately could go pretty far next month? I think we're just, we're, we're really, we have great chemistry as a, as a group. Um, we play together. We all want to win. Um, there's no individual egos or individual things that we're trying to um, do out there on the floor. I think everybody comes together and um, trusts each other. And then on the defensive end, we all help each other. Um, I think that's what it comes down to. We're we're all locked in. There, I don't think there's been really too many games where we come out lazy. Um, and if we do, it doesn't last for long. So I think we're going to be ready for the challenge no matter who we play. And it, I think our chemistry is, is the biggest thing for us. Hey, you guys retired Kawhi Leonard's uh, jersey uh, a few weeks ago. What, what did he tell you about this about this team? Um, you know, he just um, just told us to just keep going. You know, um, this is pretty special season that, that we can have that we're having and um, don't get caught up into it, but, you know, just keep grinding and, and taking it one game at a time. Hey, we believe that we can win. The show, what's it like to play in front of those fans? Oh, uh, it's amazing. I mean, they come out every game. They're loud. Uh, I, I don't think I've played in a ladder arena, to be honest. It's, when we get going, the crowd is going crazy. Uh, I can only imagine what it's like for, for the opposing teams. So it's, it's definitely a huge advantage for us. Yeah, Viejas Arena is a hidden gem on the West Coast. Malachi, I appreciate it. I know we will be talking as we get closer or into the NCAA tournament. Uh, Thanks. Appreciate it. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. Andy Katz here with NCAA.com and March Madness with a look at the top 10 of the week, my Katz ranks. And for this week, looking at the top 10 teams that can win the national championship. This was very difficult. Tom Izzo, Michigan State, and I were talking about it, and he said, look, there could be 20, 25 teams that win it. Had to get down to 10. There were two I eliminated that I know I'm going to hear about. Auburn and Louisville. I think both of them still could win the national championship because I think that list could be upwards of a dozen, 15, 20 teams. The Auburn wins basically all in the last possession. Uh, A lot of those lately uh, scared me a little bit. Shows they can certainly close. Definitely at home. But had to eliminate someone. Louisville lost Georgia Tech. Kind of gave me some pause. I know I'm going to hear about this. But Here we go. Number 10, San Diego State. Aztecs through mid-February undefeated. One of the top 10 defensive teams in the country. Great offensive and defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. Uh, Malachi Flynn, uh, 
transfer from Washington State on the perimeter. Matt Mitchell, big-time double-double type guy. Uh, the Aztecs are soaring right now and look like a team that not only could be a one seed, but certainly could get to Atlanta if they get in the right matchups. At number nine, Seton Hall. Miles Powell, one of the better closers in the country, certainly could be the national player of the year. You got Romero Gill inside. Um, their home loss at Creighton causes a little pause. Creighton's very good, by the way, offensively. But Seton Hall certainly has all the pieces where they could make a run to the national championship. At number eight, I could have certainly moved up Kentucky. I probably will hear about this one. But I got Kentucky there. Manuel Quickly, Ashton Hagens, combine that with Nick Richards, who could be SEC Player of the Year. He's had an outstanding season. They have to be on this list. Maybe I could have gone higher. At number seven, Maryland. I wouldn't have had them on the list about a month ago. But Jalen Smith has started to take over games, certainly on the road. They've solved those issues. Anthony Cowan still is a big shot maker. This Maryland team playing with a little bit of an edge after the way they lost LSU last season in the NCAA tournament. At number six, Dayton. Obi Toppin could be National Player of the Year. They defend. They got good guard play. Uh, you know, basically, their losses through mid-February were in overtime to Kansas and Maui at the buzzer to Colorado in Chicago. They have to be a factor. They're going to be at least a two-seed. At number five, Duke. Okay, I've got Duke here because Vernon Carey could be National Player of the Year. Trey Jones is playing his best basketball. They defend so well. Now, you could push back on me and say Duke played with fire. They should have lost to North Carolina. They were in trouble against BC. But Duke has the intangibles here. Their veteran players are all in, coming off the bench, experience. I like them as a team that could go there and win it. And number four, I know I'm going to hear about this one. I got Michigan State. I know they've not played like a national championship contender for most of the season. They've had moments. The win at Seton Hall. The way in which they held off Illinois on the road in Champaign. But when we get to March... Cassius Winston, he'll blossom. Xavier Tillman has been an all-Big Ten performer. Rocket Watts is starting to play much better. And they got Tom Izzo. So I got them in the top four. Baylor, they could end up being the number one overall seed. Not just zone anymore, a lot of man. Playing it very well. Jared Butler could be, you know, if he's not the Big 12 player of the year, he's going to be certainly first team. And Scott Drew has gone deep before. Been in Elite Eights. Uh, He's got a great shot to win the national championship. At number two, Gonzaga. The Zags, Phil Petrusev. Killing Tilly healthy, hopefully. Corey Kispert. Drew Timmy. The perimeter. Joel is playing very well. The transfer guards, Gilder and Wooldridge. This team scores better than any team in the country. And they're defending really well right now, at least in the WCC. We'll see if that continues. They have to be considered one of the favorites to win the national championship. And right now, even though they're not in first place alone because of Baylor, because they lost to Baylor, I think it's Kansas. Kansas defensively right now is playing its best basketball on that side of the court that we've seen in years under Bill Self. The way they beat West Virginia in Morgantown, incredibly significant. Yudoka Azubuke, very hard to move out of there. Marcus Garrett, great defender. Devin Dotson. I mean, this team has all the intangibles. I say they go into the NCAA tournament, regardless of where they are on that one line, and I assume they will be, as the favorite to win the national championship.
Andy Katz here with NCAA.com March Madness with Matt Howard from Butler. Matt, I can't believe it. It is 10 years, 10 years since Butler played in Indianapolis. The shot heard round the sport, uh, and you guys lose to Duke and by far maybe my favorite NCAA championship game ever. Um, how crazy is it it's been 10 years? It's been really crazy. I mean, it's hard to believe now being back here uh, all the time and, and just thinking that it's possible. It's been 10 years. It's unbelievable. So what have you been doing the past decade? been playing in Europe uh, for most of that. And obviously I had another year after that 2010 run playing here. And, and then seven years overseas, just been, been enjoying playing the game. You know, that's why, why I like to tell people, they ask me, did I enjoy it? You know, and you're playing a game, you play. Uh, so really enjoyed that experience. Yeah, it's, of course, 2010-2011, back-to-back national championship games. I mean, so many players never even get that chance to even be in a Final Four, let alone play for a championship. But nine years after the 11, 10 years after 10, how hard is it to to swallow that you guys were in back-to-back finals but not able to win? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good point. Uh, You know, at the end of the day, we finished second twice, but... That's not necessarily what I think about uh, the most. You can't really change it now anyways. Uh, you know. So when I talk to my former teammates, it's about the good times we had, the runs that we made, uh, just enjoying it. You think about that shot? <laughs> I have to, right? <laughs> I have to. How close did you think it was going down for Gordon Hayward? Well, uh, I was actually turned around, I think, when he released it. And so I didn't, I didn't track it very well. Uh, but when I turned around and was able to see where it was and caught it right at the end, I think it was more deflating. And I've told people this. It's like, Gordon, you know, why couldn't he just launch it over the backboard, right? Like, why is it got to be so close? Because that, that made it a little more deflating and, and just taking the air out of you. Well, I'm trying to remember, were you the one that set the pick at midcourt? Yeah, and that's why, that's why I was turned around, obviously trying to absorb that hit. And then as I went to look uh, – Obviously, uh, you know, got the the very, very end of that. And uh, I don't think you expect it to be that close, right? And so, uh, you know, just like I said, it just took the air out of me. I mean, it really was magical to be in Indianapolis. Butler here, uh, you know, sort of the David versus Goliath. When you think back to that championship game and and all that it meant and how I think it still changed the sport. Uh, I mean, how much do you think it did for schools around the country? Mm, I, that's that's a good question. I don't I don't know that. I know for us it, it maintained this level of belief that we could do it again when we got back into the tournament. So again, it was like why not? You know, we take this one game at a time. We can figure this out. Uh, I don't know if it changed that much for other teams. I know there there were some like the Wichita States that then made some runs, but uh, yeah, I, you know, it was just it was kudos to our coaching staff that sort of believed and had that vision. Uh, and then, you know, these players able to execute it. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like now, you know, since then, Wichita State, VCU, obviously Gonzaga has played for a national championship. They're a national program now. You know, this season, Dayton looks like they're a team that could compete for a national championship. And because of you guys, it feels like any of that is possible now. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's, you know, necessarily just, just from us, but I, I hope that it was. I hope that you change sort of the vision of your program. You change the goals because why not, you know, why not set it out there? I think that's what Brad talked about too, before that season It's like, Hey, you know, why not? Why don't we just push this out? Let's, let's say, you know, why not, why not us? Why not, 
make it to the final four. It's here in Indy. You know, let's believe it and that let's make that our goal. And I really think it changed the way that we looked at the season. I think the year before, you know, our goal wasn't that. And so, you know, you feel like you accomplished something. Uh, but if you set it out farther, you know, you have to push even farther to achieve it. So Shelvin Max still playing. Of course, Gordon Hayward still playing. Um, when you look back that you've got teammates that are still playing professionally in the league, what, what does that make you think about? It was awesome. You know, I, I think when I was when I was finished playing, I was thinking 10 to 15 years, you know, continue to play. But, man, they've been they've had a great, great run. Obviously, Gordon is has, you know, he elevated himself to the level of an all-star, which uh, I don't think we all thought was the case at, at one point, but he's continued, continued to improve. And, and Shelvin's just had, had a great career and is continuing to play. And I love it. You know, that's, we, we all, we all love this. You know, we all love the chance to be able to do this and I'm happy for him. In what way did you know that Brad Stevens had this in him to be an NBA head coach and lead a team, you know, to the Eastern Conference Finals and being in contention for obviously an NBA championship at some point? I think it was just, you know, you recognize someone who really understands the game. He understands players. Uh, and when you have both of those elements, you can you can do something special. And we we always felt like we were the most prepared team. Uh, I know there, there were a lot of great coaches in the tournament, but our coaching staff really had us prepared. And that's that's a kudos to him. And if you ask guys that have played for him, he earns their respect because of the work that he puts in, and he always has you prepared, always. And lastly, Matt, I'm thinking about this program. It's been through, what, Horizon, A-10, Big East. You know, I'm just curious, like, if you were in the Big East then, I mean, think about what you could have accomplished, and you still went to back-to-back championships. How much has this place changed? Yeah, it's changed a lot, and and not only not only conferences, but – uh, so many coaches. Uh, it's amazing how many coaches have been here since since I graduated, and those those two things combined make it it makes it really hard to continue to sustain a level. And I think that's maybe the most impressive thing is they've continued to sustain outside of all these changes. And uh, it, it's I mean it's awesome. Look at the teams coming through here now. It's really it's it's so awesome and fun to see. Well, congrats on obviously helping us with tremendous memories. Great career, both college and pro. Uh, Great to catch up with you. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Andy. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Judy McLeod, the commissioner of Conference USA in her fifth season at the helm of Conference USA. And uh, Judy, I've known you for a long time, waiting back to, God, I guess it goes back to Tulsa or beyond that, who knows. Um, And uh, you've trailblazed a tremendous career in athletics and now you're continuing to trailblaze within athletics in what you're doing with uh, Conference USA play late in the season, the tournament. Uh, it's something that I think a lot of the conferences should take notice on. So let's start with the bonus play, which now the league is into here in the final couple of weeks. The league is put into three groups. Uh, explain for our listeners what this means and uh, how we got to this point where you're, you're trying to sort of juggle things up and uh, make sure the best teams play each other down the stretch. Sure. Appreciate it, Andy. Um, so we started this a year ago. So this is our second year with bonus play. And so we play, everybody plays each other. So we play a 14 game schedule and then we stop and do a reset and put the groups, put the teams in three groups. Um, the first group, one through five, second, six through 10. 
and the third group 11 through 14. And so seeding for the tournament is guaranteed within your group going into this. And then you play um, each other in your group. And so um, the the theory behind it or the um, reasons we're trying this uh, really is to get our top teams to have um, more meaningful games, especially down the stretch, and just provide them with quality games going into tournament selections, whether it's NCAA or NIT as well. Um, you know, ultimately we'd like to get multiple bids, but we think it's really important for seeding. And so as our league, our league's continuing to get better, but we're still not getting the volume of quad one, quad two games within our conference schedule. So we rely heavily on the non-conference for that. And as you know, scheduling's really hard. So at the end of the season, we're taking our teams and, and making sure they at least get some more of those opportunities um, heading into the selections. Yeah, I think when we get to the point where, and, and I'm sure it will happen at some point, uh, hopefully, uh, obviously you guys hope sooner than later, where the league can get multiple bids, this will be even more beneficial, you know, if the best teams are playing each other down the stretch and and not sort of feeding on the, the, the teams that would be in like a quad three or quad four grouping if they're having a bad season. Uh, what kind of reception have you gotten from, the administrations, the athletic directors, and of course the coaches and players about this kind of setup? You know, it's been good. It's, it's generated a lot of excitement. Um, I, I credit RADs with, um, you know, being willing to try something new. You know, at the end of the day, they'll have to balance. Um, is the, you know, our league is um, fairly spread out geographically. So is the late travel and, you know, some additional expense there, um, I think it has created excitement with our fan base, but then again, you know, not knowing if you're home away, we know the play dates, but you don't know that until, um, I guess yesterday where you're going to be, you know, for your final four games. And so there are some give and takes that, that will continue to weigh and, and see if this makes a difference for us. But, um, I think, uh, all of our membership's been great at, you know, it hasn't been what we've been doing hasn't been hasn't solved the the problem i don't know if you're ever going to solve it but um so why not give this a try so uh, you know it's something we'll evaluate closely again at the end of this year you know what what i like about it also is it it almost has that feel in you know european soccer where you're you're relegated to you know you got to work your way back up uh and you know the the premier the top group is uh rewarded for you know playing well um now how do you also balance uh, and, you know, this is sort of a reality check, you know, the bottom group, they are who they are at, at this particular season, and it changes. Uh, I mean, the certain years, I mean, uh, you know, I look at this group in Group 3, for example. I mean, Middle Tennessee has had, you know, some really good years. This particular year, they're having an off year. Yeah. So they're in the bottom group. Uh, Old Dominion in that Group 2. Uh, Marshall, I mean, these are schools that, you know, have, have either won games in the tournament or been very successful. And so it's cyclical in that sense. I mean, but as a commissioner, do you have to balance like, you know, almost the hard feelings of being relegated to the bottom when the facts are the facts of based on your record? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's hard. I think actually though, for group three, um, when they get over the toughness, we, we take 12 out of 14 to our tournament. So those four teams are battling for the last two spots and that, and, in a particular season, they're playing against like teams, you know, so they, all of them feel like right now today, we got an opportunity to make it to the tournament. So it's a different uh, mindset, but 
it gives them a chance. I think the hardest one may be actually, because um, usually the teams in the bottom are the rebuilding teams. The hardest one actually may be group two. You know, you can't play to get a first round bye in the tournament. You know, your fans were hoping you were in group one. And so that one's kind of been a little more of a challenge for us. All right. So the tournament itself, uh, yet another new uh, way to look at things, uh, and not every league can do this because they don't have the venue for it, uh, but tell us what you're going to do now with the tournament this season. Sure. This is our third year to have the tournament um, in the Star, which is the Dallas Cowboys football practice facility. Um, unbelievable environment around that area, what they've done in the city of Frisco and what the city of Frisco and their um, residents really do to support sports. But um, a little background, RADs had made a decision they want our men's and, tournament, men's and women's tournaments in the same city um, at the same time. And so that really narrows down our options because we need two, two courts or two facilities to play on the first two days. And then for day three and four for the semis and the finals, we move to one facility or one court. So in the past, we'd been in cities where we'd use two different buildings and then combine for the semis and the finals. And so we had an opportunity at the Ford Center at the Star um, to actually build two courts, and we separate them with a sound curtain. You know, I think a lot of people going into it thought in their mind, they thought, oh, this is like an AAU tournament where there's really no separation. You can hear every whistle, all that kind of thing. Um, but the sound curtain's been really effective for us, you know, from players to game officials. And I guess I better knock on wood here because we've never had a game where they thought the whistle was blowing on their court, but it was blowing, you know, blowing on the other court because we do play two two games at the same time. So um, it's a we've done a really nice job with the fan fest out front. It's really a tournament championship atmosphere which we wanted to do for the student athletes so it's unique you can come in and you can go from game to game walk back and forth um see two different games and um it's it's worked and you know we continue to build on it we have um this year and next year in frisco and then our membership will decide what we do from then once again, love it because for in, in you know economic times where you have to balance what we can afford uh, and for the fan base to say, hey, we can go watch our men's and women's team, same place. You know, uh, I, I think it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Obviously, not every league can pull this off because of logistics and space and all that. And you guys are as spread out as any other league in the country. So, uh, you know, kudos in, in pulling this off. And, and I think this is just a great idea to just to re-energize and get people interested. Uh, I just want to shift here before we go, Judy. Uh, you are a former member of the Men's Basketball Selection Committee. Uh, finished your term almost about five years ago. Uh, this season is a, as unpredictable as ever. Uh, I think the seeding will be as difficult as ever. And we say that a lot, but this time, I mean, I know just from bracketing, it's, it's just really difficult to separate these teams. Um what what do you, when you look back what what do you what do you remember as maybe the most difficult part of that selection slash seeding process? Yeah, I mean it's um it's intense and um the committee you know everybody on the committee does so much work to get to that point and and there's great um, debate within the room 
Um, and just picking the teams, especially when you get down um, to the final teams, is so difficult because, I mean, you put their two team sheets next to each other and there is like a hairline difference. And it's and it might be one way in one committee's members mind because of strength of schedule and it could be a different way in somebody else's mind. So um, that part's hard enough, but I think the part that does get lost a little bit is the seeding um, and how difficult that is. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because a lot of times we would see it at night, leave, and then come back in the morning and you look at it again and you're like, wait a minute, why did we do that? Let's look at it again. So there's no, no doubt that, um, those things you go over and over and over and over again. Um, and I think it's just, you know, even me having been in the room and now being out, Sometimes I look at it and I'm going, wait a minute, what? But I know that being in there and seeing that data, you know, next to each other, um, it's, it, it's even hard for me to explain, and I've experienced it. But I think the seating is really difficult, and I think that's, that's the part that kind of gets lost because everyone's focused on who gets in. And last thing, Judy, because now you're a commissioner – of a conference that desperately would like to get multiple bids. Uh, you've been in the room. Uh, things are getting harder and harder, especially with scheduling and all these leagues going to 20 games. What can these leagues do outside of simply win? Uh, is there anything else, an elixir that's out there to try to get you know, a second bid, an at-large bid, uh, for leagues that are just outside that power group? Yeah, I think what we've been trying to do lately and we'll con- we have to continue is, you know, top teams in leagues like ours need to play top teams in leagues um, in situations similar to ours. So we've done some things set in at like Conference USA, the Atlantic 10, and the Missouri Valley have worked together, for example, to, to make some matchups. And, um, I, you know, sometimes it's hard, but I think our, our members have been really open to those kind of arrangements um, because we're not, you know, this way we can get home games, you know, we can play home and homes. It's tough for us to get some other teams to come to our places. And so I think we have to be creative in in those aspects and be willing, you know, I think uh, Marshall went and traveled to Northern Iowa, those kind of things um, to get some good games. So um, it's, it's all about collaboration. We're all trying to do the same thing. You know, with our league, it's really important that the bottom of our league continues to get better. And so as a conference, we can start getting some more quad one, quad two wins within our schedule. Um, you know, if it was an easy solution, somebody, it would have been done by now, but um, we'll keep working on it. We've, we've, we've had some success where in scheduling some football games, we've actually asked okay, we'll schedule this football game if you'll do a home-and-home basketball. And so some of our teams have been able to get some um, really good games that way. And I'll just say this. If UTEP and Middle Tennessee are your 13 and 14 in a particular season like this one, uh, I think there's a lot of hope and optimism because those two programs have great history and tradition, and they won't be down for long, if not more than just one year. So uh, if you've got other teams at the top, and those teams are going to certainly shoot back up, I believe that uh, things are looking healthy for the league. Judy, I appreciate it. All right, Andy. Good to talk to you. And now this has become, I think, maybe my favorite part. 
no offense to our guests, but of the podcast, because Chad loves to challenge me. We talk about the games. Uh, March Chadness. Uh, Chad, um, we're getting down to the final three weeks of the regular season. Crazy. In actually two weeks, we're going to have conferences are actually going to be playing their tournaments, including the Mountain West. So we're getting down to the final weeks of the season. How did I do last week? Yeah, Andy, you're showing a little bit of consistency here. You win uh, another six and six week. I think this one was actually a little bit more impressive, you know, as you mentioned in your headlines, uh, all the upsets on Saturday. Uh, so still finding a way to get to 500 was was actually, I think, pretty impressive. Uh, you, you know, you got the wins uh, with Dayton. You got the Auburn win. They got revenge on Alabama. Uh, Villanova pulled out that one against Marquette. Oregon beat Colorado, Baylor beat West Virginia, and Rutgers beat Illinois. And that Illinois uh, game, you know, when you predicted it, we didn't know about Iowa at the time. Uh, so nice win with Rutgers there. Uh, the losses, you know, some teams just lost at home. You know, you, you, Purdue lost at home against Penn State. Great road win there. Uh, you know, Illinois against Michigan State. Uh, Seton Hall lost against Creighton. West Virginia lost at home against Kansas. Iowa lost at Indiana, you know, you finally went on, you know, with a bold pick with Iowa on the road, thought they could get it done. They couldn't. Uh, and then Michigan State lost to Maryland. So any thoughts on that crazy, crazy week of predictions? Well, the Michigan State-Illinois game literally came down to the last possession. Right. So that easily could have gone the other way. Great put back by Xavier Tillman for them. And then Io DeSumo gets hurt. Uh, luckily for Illinois and obviously for him, he's going to be back. Um, you know, so that was just scary the way that one ended. Uh, West Virginia had owned Kansas in Morgantown. They'd had a, done a great job in Kansas. Our team of the week did a phenomenal job defensively on West Virginia. You know, Purdue, nor, in a normal year, you don't pick against them at Mackey Arena. But look, this is not a normal year for them. Certainly not a normal year for Penn State, winning all these road games. So, you know, a couple of those, I just assume that would maybe go back to uh, some normalcy, but that didn't happen. Uh, so I don't regret it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, the way this season has gone, if you can go 500 in a particular week, it's probably the best. You know, I've had a couple of outliers where I've gone 11 and, or whatever, 10 and 2, yep. and then a couple of down ones below 500. But I'll, I'll take the 500 right now. Yeah, let's do it. So this week, Tuesday night, we're starting off with an A-10 battle here. Number 5, Dayton at VCU. Obi Toppin and his boys are still perfect in A-10 play. Uh, but the Siegel Center should be rocking for this one. Do you like Dayton to win on the road, or can VCU kind of give them their first conference loss? Uh, I like Dayton to win this game again on the road. Uh, they've proven to be an exceptional road team. You know, we're going to get to this in two weeks. If they're going to lose, it might be the return game at Rhode Island. But, you know, VCU's been a little erratic this season. So I like the Flyers to go into VCU and win this game. Okay, how about number 15, Creighton, at number 19, Marquette? Marquette's coming off that heartbreaking loss to Nova, as we just mentioned. Can they rebound at home against Creighton? So there's going to be a ton of shots in this game. This is going to be a great offensive game because Marcus Howard uh, on one side, uh, Mitchell, uh, you know, uh, Bullock on the other, or Tyshawn Alexander. I mean, the ball's going to be flying in the air constantly from the three-point line. So... I think it's going to be a very entertaining game. Creighton has proven that they can win on the road in this league. But I kind of look at this, you know, in the Big East and a lot of these weeks. Okay, look at these two games this week. Marquette's got to go to Providence on the weekend, uh, which is going to be a desperate Providence team, desperately needing that win. I think Marquette has to and will hold serve at home in, I think, a game that's going to go down to the last possession, possibly overtime, high-scoring game. I see this in the, at least in the 70s or 80s. Yeah, we're on the same page. High scoring and Marquette wins. I like it. Uh, number one, Baylor at Oklahoma. Baylor, they've won 22 in a row, which tied Kansas's Big 12 record for a winning streak. 
Uh, are they going to set the record with 23 straight with a win in Norman? I think they will. Uh, now, the main thing is they can't look ahead to Saturday. Oh, yeah. Uh, which we'll get to because they host Kansas. Uh, but, um, you know, Oklahoma, uh, you know, they've got the ability to score. Uh, you know, do a little. I mean, but the, the key is. You know, can they defend Baylor? Will Lon Kruger be able to devise a plan to keep Baylor off the glass? Uh, you know, and that's the question here. And, and right now, I think Baylor's playing too well. Uh, I think they get this one and have yet another great week. Yeah, I think last time you picked against Oklahoma it was when West Virginia was in town, but I think this is a completely different beast with just how hot Baylor is. So I agree with your pick. Uh, still Tuesday night, you've got number 10 Kentucky at LSU. LSU suffered a brutal loss against Alabama. You know, they were down 14 and then pulled all the way to within one, uh, and they just couldn't pull it out. Uh, is there any chance they kind of get over that loss and, and take down Kentucky and Baton Rouge? There's certainly a chance. Um, and I was high on LSU, if you remember, a few weeks ago. I had them, I think, at number 10 in our power 36. But um, I, I love the way Kentucky's playing, uh, where they've they've basically handled everyone's best shot. You know, I, I think you could make a strong argument that Nick Richards is going to be right there, potentially SEC Player of the Year, with you know Okoro from Auburn, Reggie Perry from Mississippi State. Um, you know, he's going to be right there to potentially win that award. And uh, you know, the, the way Emmanuel Quickly and Ashton Hagens are playing, I like Kentucky to once again go on the road and get a key win in the SEC. Yeah, it's a great bet on Nick Richards. You know, going into the season, everybody was questioning what Kentucky had, you know, down low. Would they have the front court to, to be able to match up? And I think Nick Richards is one of the most improved players in the country for sure. Wednesday night, February 19th, you've got number 21 Butler at number 16 Seton Hall. Uh, the Big East leading Pirates, you know, they failed to defend home court against Creighton. You think they rebound here against Butler? Yes. Rough week last week for Seton Hall, especially ending with that Lost to Providence where they got down big early, had to climb all the way back up, and then they couldn't get over the hump. I was at the Butler-Georgetown game. Uh, they are hurting physically. Aaron Thompson was out. Uh, shocked that Georgetown was able to go in there and beat him because Georgetown was down Mac McClung and Omar Yurtseven. Yet they lost. Uh, Butler's trending in the wrong direction. Uh, I don't see how Seton Hall loses again at home at this point. I like the Pirates. Okay, now let's jump all the way to Saturday. Number three, Kansas at number one, Baylor. You know, you kind of covered it at the top of the pod, but this is a can't-miss game uh, that could decide the Big 12. So who wins? Baylor. Uh, Kansas, as well as they've been playing, especially defensively, they're our team of the week. Did a great job in Morgantown. Uh, this is just Baylor's year. And Baylor's going to get the sweep. Believe it. Uh you know, the, the game's going to be hyped off. the. I mean, it's going to be the, one of the biggest games they've ever had in Waco. And uh, if they win this, they will win the Big 12, and they'll probably win it outright. Uh, so I'm going with Baylor. Right. All right. Now, number eight, Florida State at NC State. This is a huge week uh, in Raleigh for the Wolfpack, hosting Duke uh, to start the week, and then Florida State on Saturday. So how do you see this one shaking out? Look, NC State lost to B.C., and they've been all over the map. You know, they they, they beat Syracuse uh, on the road. Um, but, you know, the Seminoles, I don't think they can match their athleticism inside. Uh, defensively, Florida State can lock you up. Uh, and Leonard's team get better and better as the season goes along. I like Florida State. All right. What about Florida at number 10, Kentucky? You know, the Gators finally seem to be hitting their stride here, winning four out of five. Uh, but, you know, facing the, the SEC leading catch in Rupp Arena might be too tough to overcome. So who you got? I got Kentucky. 
Um, Florida, uh, one of my preseason Final Four teams. I just don't see it. Uh, I think they'll be in the tournament, but they're not going to get a great seed. And this is, you know, for all the teams we talked about outside of Kentucky, Florida, Auburn at one point, LSU. um, At the end of the day, I think Kentucky's going to win the SEC, and I think they're going to win it outright uh, and probably win it handily. And I'm going to go with Kentucky. Yeah, I, I like that pick. It's a safe pick. But let's just say Florida wins that game. Would that give you a little bit of confidence, you know, for Florida as kind of reestablishing themselves as a title contender? Oh, yeah, for sure. That changes the title narrative, entire narrative on the Gators if they were able to pull this off. All right, so huge game for Florida on Saturday. Next is number 14, Oregon, at number 24, Arizona. Big time showdown in the Pac-12 and the McHale Center. Who you got winning? Whew. The, um, you know, Oregon has been tremendous late. They beat Arizona late. Uh, Arizona uh, is playing well. I don't. The race in the Pac-12 is fascinating. You got four teams tied in the loss column right now: Colorado, Oregon, Arizona, and Arizona State. What a late season surge for the Sun Devils to potentially get back into the NCAA tournament for a third straight season. I think this is going to be uh, like we talked about: Waco off the charts. I think the McHale Center will be just like that, and I think Arizona gets the season split. Um, because they were so close to winning in Eugene. So, and Oregon's played a little bit with fire where they've, they've, you know, had some deficits and had to come back. But I like Arizona in this matchup. And by the way, you know, I mentioned they got to go to both schools. This could be a rough weekend for the Ducks because they could get beat up playing ASU first. You know, it, it looked like early in the season, oh, you can maybe get a win in Tempe, and then you got to deal with Arizona. Now, to sweep this road trip, incredibly difficult. So by Monday, Oregon could end up being two games back, potentially, of Colorado. Yeah, that's a tough week for the Ducks. The last game I'm going to give you Saturday night is number two Gonzaga at number 23 BYU. BYU checking in the AP poll this week. It feels like this is Gonzaga's really last chance to lose in conference play. With a potential one seat on the line, do you like the Zags to pull through, or can BYU pull an upset here? I'm really struggling with this one because um, – you know, Killian Tilly has been on again, off again, on again, off again. And so I'm going to just have to go with the assumption that he's going to play. Um, he didn't play over the weekend when they had a tough beginning against Pepperdine and they were able to pull away on the road. So uh, I'm going to assume that what they are doing with him, which is they're really almost it's almost an NBA thing where they're sort of doing load management and, and managing his minutes because he's had so many injuries and with the assumption he will play, and if he does play, they're just the better team. And as crazy as that atmosphere is going to be in, in Provo Saturday night, uh, I just I, I I think the Zags go in there if they're healthy. So I'm going to pick Gonzaga. But if if we get word late, I know I can't change it here, but um, I'm going to go with the assumption that he's going to play. And so I will go with Gonzaga, but I could certainly see BYU winning this game and knocking Gonzaga uh, off the perch, uh, potentially, of that top seed. Yeah, I think a couple weeks ago, I probably would have picked BYU to win this game, but after they just dismantled St. Mary's on the road, I have full confidence in anything Gonzaga's doing right now. When also, BYU you know, literally had to go down and beat USD, San Diego, in the last possession. Um, and, you know, I know winning on the road isn't easy. I don't care who you are. But uh, as well as they have played and can play, that scares me a little that the Toreros toward the bottom of the WCC, you know, almost took them out. Right. Yeah, no doubt. 
How about Sunday? We're going to give you two more games. Number seven, Maryland at number 25, Ohio State. Both teams kind of trending in the right direction here. Uh, Maryland's red hot and the Buckeyes, you know, back in the top 25 after winning five out of six. So who wins this one? So this is hard because I've picked against Maryland on the road and then they win. Uh, Ohio State is playing much better. The difference here, um, you know, look, I could definitely see Ohio State winning this game. You know, the, the Ohio State has now adjusted without DJ Carton uh, while he's on a leave, and uh, they've had to adjust. But Anthony Cowan, if he plays the way he played in East Lansing, they win that matchup. And then the Wesson-Smith matchup can be a wash. So this all comes down to Anthony Cowan. And if he plays the way he does against Michigan State, they win because they are the better team right now. So I'm going to go on that assumption. I'm going to go that Cowan has another great weekend, and I will say that Maryland wins this game in Columbus. Yeah, Cowan definitely finding his stride down the stretch, too. A lot of people thought he could have been player of the week. And that's a fair criticism. <laughs> uh, the last game, number 21 Butler at number 15 Creighton. Uh, the second-ranked road game of the week for Butler. You, you didn't have him winning at the beginning of the week. Do you have him winning here? I don't. This is the problem in the Big East and the Big Ten. You've got these stretches where if you lose a home game the way Butler did to Georgetown, now look what you're facing at Seton Hall, at Creighton. I mean, brutal. And that's the problem for Butler right now. And that's why I'm going to go with Creighton because it's just it's going to pound you down these road games in these leagues that are so tough and such a grind. And on the flip side, if I go with Marquette over Creighton, I don't see Creighton losing both these games this week with the second game at home on Sunday. So I think it's going to be a rough week for Butler. Seeding's going to take a hit both in the Big East and the NCAA. They'll have obviously two weeks after this to get it back up. But uh, I like the Blue Jays in this one. Yeah, same here. And then San Diego State, 26-0. and They got a home game against UNLV, and that should be an easy one for them. Don't you agree? Well, it won't be easy because the, the Rebels have been playing better. But uh, yeah, San Diego State's going to continue to win. Uh, and I will continue to say it. They will go into the Mountain West Conference Tournament undefeated uh, with the potential of being a number one seed either in the West or possibly in the East. Yeah, great storyline to watch all season, and we'll keep tracking it. So we'll revisit these picks next week, Andy. Well, appreciate it, Chad. As always, you can check out all our content on NCAA.com, on our March Madness social media handles, on Twitter and on Facebook. Check out our picks. Check out all our content throughout the course of the week as we cover the national scene like no one else. And of course, thanks to all our guests here on March Madness 365. For Chad Aycock, I'm Andy Katz. Thanks for listening.